the Lord Jesus came to save us from the grave and he showed and told us that in so many ways and it was already shown long before he came that he would be the one through whom we have fellowship with the Father. That's what we will look at this afternoon as we uh, uh, discuss our text from Leviticus 24. Before we go there, though, I would like to read with you from the New Testament, uh, the Gospel of Luke, part of this well-known, precious narrative where two men, two disciples of Jesus on the way from, or to Emmaus, um, they were lost because they had seen or heard how Jesus was arrested and how he was killed, and they thought they had lost all hope. And then, as you know, they met Jesus on the road. And even though they didn't recognize him, they found great comfort in the explanation he gave that the Messiah should come to suffer. And we pick up this narrative in Luke 24, in verse uh, 28. And then we read through verse 35. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he, Jesus, indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. We will now turn to uh, the Old Testament and Leviticus. Leviticus 24. As the name of the book Leviticus indicates, these, uh, there are many instructions here for the Levites the family of Levi, how to organize the worship in the tabernacle. And we will just re read a couple of verse, uh, verses from Leviticus 24, starting in verse 5. Leviticus 4, verse 5, or 24, verse 5. Hear the instruction of the Lord. And you shall take fine flour... And bake twelve cakes with it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial and offering made by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, 
and they shall eat it in a holy place. For it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire, by a perpetual statue. Statutes. So far we read from the word of God. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a student in Amsterdam, I lived in a small room on the fifth floor of a house. And the room was pretty small. But it was my room. It had a bed, a table, a couple of chairs, a desk, a heater, and a floor lamp. But those few pieces of furniture made it my dwelling, my home. Without furniture, it would just have been a small open space. But with the furniture, it was clearly mine. And it was pleasant to live there. Sometimes I would call a friend or two and we would sit around the table and share a meal and talk about many different things. On those nights, my small attic room was the best place to be. Well, in a sense, the Old Testament tabernacle was a lot like a small apartment. But the Lord lived there. A few pieces of furniture signaled that this tent, this tabernacle, was not an empty room, but it was a home, a dwelling. There was an inner room, kind of like a bedroom, except the Lord did not have a bed, but a golden throne, the Ark of the Covenant. And then in the main area of the tabernacle stood three other pieces of furniture. So, Bible quiz, right? But three other pieces of furniture were there inside the tabernacle, apart from the ark. Well, there was the altar of incense, there was a lampstand, and there was a table. Kind of like we have a desk and a lamp and a dining table in our houses. And this afternoon I want to focus with you on one of these pieces of furniture in the tabernacle, the table. Even though the Lord does not need to be fed, he still wanted a table in his tabernacle. Because a table is the place where families and friends eat together. A table is a place for fellowship. And so the very presence of that table in the tabernacle teaches us something wonderful about God, a truth from the past that is still true in the present and will remain true forever. And that is this truth, the theme for the sermon. The Lord invites His people to a fellowship meal. The Lord invites His people to a fellowship meal. And we will consider the fellowship meal of the past, the fellowship meal of the present, and a fellowship meal in the future. So the table in the tabernacle was made of gold, and on it stood a number of plates and bowls and pitchers, as you would expect when a meal is served. But more special than the silverware was the ritual that the priests had to perform from week to week. We read in Leviticus 24 that the priests were to serve food on the table every week. Just as they would serve bread at home for their families every day, so they had to serve bread in God's home 
every Sabbath day, once a week. Leviticus 24 even gives a recipe for the bread. Saw that, right? How many cakes to make, how much flour to use. Now, before you try cooking these breads, um, I have to warn you, Bible scholars are a little puzzled about the exact meaning. Uh, literally, it says two-tenths of flour. Uh, the New King James Version added uh, ephahs. And I don't think two-tenths of an ephah is going to work because two-tenths of an ephah would mean that you put about a gallon of flour in each loaf. If you've ever baked a bread, you know that that won't fit in your uh, bread machine. More likely is two-tenths of an omer, uh, which would mean slightly less than two cups, two cups of flour for a loaf of bread. And then you add the right amount of water, and, um, and then you bake it. The bread served by the priests were probably like normal Israelite loaves of bread, flat and round, kind of like pancakes or like small pizza crusts. And they were piled into two neat stacks of loaves each. I think the, the rows that I mentioned here may well have been stacks. Two stacks of six loaves of bread. So, why 12 loaves? Can you guess? doesn't say that here, but you can guess, right? Why, why 12 loaves of bread? Because there were 12 tribes of Israel. So these loaves represented the people of God. In the same way, the priest carried 12 gemstones on the plate on his chest. And the Israelites had built various monuments with 12 stones. 12 tribes of God's people, and therefore also 12 loaves on the table in the tabernacle. And verse 8 kind of confirms this uh, when it says, um, taken from the children of Israel, like the children of Israel, the 12 tribes. Every week, the Lord invited his people Israel, as it were, to dine with him. He had the table set for them. He provided food for them. Now, of course, most Israelites were not actually allowed inside the tabernacle. Even though God dwelled with Israel, they were still a sinful nation, and they could not stand before the Holy Lord. And so the Lord had appointed the priests and the Levites. They were called to live their lives in a special way and perform all kinds of rituals um, before they could visit the Lord's dwelling. So the Levites and priests formed, as it were, a protective buffer between God and his people. And only they could enter into the tabernacle. In doing so, they represented the people of God. They represented the whole nation of Israel. And on their behalf, the priests joined the Lord's table and they ate the bread. And so the table in the tabernacle is nothing less than God's gracious invitation to his people to join him for a meal. The emphasis is not on the table itself, even though it was made of gold, or on the tableware, or even on the bread. The emphasis is on the serving and the eating of the bread in the presence of the Lord. And that is why that bread is often called 
bread of the presence. Uh, there's an older term that you may have heard for this bread, the so-called shoe bread or show bread. Um, literally, the expression in Hebrew means bread of the face of God, bread of the face. Um, bread of presence is a more modern translation that I think captures the meaning a little better. God graciously called his people to be in his presence in the intimacy of a meal. And the priests were to bring hot bread, fresh bread, every Sabbath day. And that should not be surprising, because after all, on the Sabbath, the Israelites commemorated that they had been slaves in the land of Egypt, but the Lord brought them out from there with a strong hand and outstretched arm. On the Sabbath day especially, they celebrated their deliverance from Egypt, and as part of that celebration, they had a fellowship meal with their deliverer. But there's more to say about this. In Old Testament times, people would often have a special dinner at special occasions, such as making a covenant. When a covenant was made, an agreement between parties that had been at war, for instance, a peace treaty, or any, any other deal you'd make, uh, when the covenant was made, there was a meal, and that meal served to affirm the covenant and to celebrate the official relationship of friendship and loyalty that had now been established. And we can see this, for instance, um, in the book of Exodus. Exodus 24 tells us how the Lord presented the law from Mount Sinai, and shortly after, we read Exodus 24, verse 9, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and drank. And that was a one-time event, a most wonderful event where the elders of Israel representing the people ate with God in the closest way possible. But in the tabernacle service and later in the temple, this covenant meal was to be repeated symbolically every week. And so throughout their history, the people of Israel were to celebrate the gracious rule of God in their lives and the gracious covenant He had made with them. And that's why our text says about this bread that it should be a perpetual statute. Even though regular Israelites were not allowed in the sanctuary, they knew that the priest went in there on their behalf, representing in his person all of God's people. And the Israelites who truly understood this found great joy in that fellowship that there was between them and the Lord in the intimate setting of his house, celebrating that his love and his grace and his mercy endure forever. This was, in fact, the greatest joy of God's people. And you see this in many of the prayers in the Old Testament. Where the theme of fellowship comes up many times. We sang it uh, from Psalm 16. Uh, you have made known to me 
the path of life. In, the, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are, pre, are pleasures forevermore. That's the end of Psalm 16. But you can also think of the psalm we will sing later, Psalm 23. The fellowship in God's house comes with a rich meal, a wonderful dinner. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was the joy of God's people. But now we have to realize that this table fellowship of the tabernacle and the temple was only the beginning, or as the Bible said, it was only a shadow of greater things. With the coming of Jesus Christ, the Old Testament things were replaced by the full reality. The shadowy things were replaced by bright light. In the New Testament, the fellowship between God and His people becomes much richer and fuller and it no longer takes place in the inner sanctuary of a holy tent or building. So what changed? Well, first of all, the Lord extended His fellowship to all nations, not just to Israel. He extended His fellowship also to you and me. This was not unexpected because it had always been God's plan to bless all peoples on earth. In fact, the prophecy of Isaiah 25 said it in so many words, again using this, this language of a meal. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. I think, no offense, but I think that meal was even better than your potluck is going to be this afternoon. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this, this prophecy became true. No longer would only Jews celebrate fellowship with God in the temple, but people throughout the world have communion with the Lord in the name of Jesus Also here in Owen Sound, the Lord calls His people, He calls you, to celebrate fellowship with Him in an intimate meal. A second thing that changed is that the Lord made this fellowship more direct. In the New Testament, uh, people of God are no longer specially appointed as priests. It's not just a minister or an elder who comes into God's presence to have fellowship with Him. This is why we also criticize the medieval church for having only the priests, for instance, partaking of of communion. Rather, all believers are invited and encouraged to have direct fellowship with God. Hebrews 10 verse 20 reminds us that we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. You are invited inside the sanctuary. Anyone of you who belongs to Jesus, young and old, new convert or mature believer, you may simply enter the sanctuary. You may 
approach God's very throne of mercy and you may approach the table of God's presence to have fellowship with the Almighty God. Now that, brothers and sisters, that is the greater glory of the New Testament. And in a sense, I said there are no uh, uniquely called priests in the New Testament people. But in another sense, you can say you're all priests before the Lord. You have been consecrated and you're allowed. No, you're called and you're urged to come and to commune with God. Come and dine with the God of grace. But the third and the most important thing to realize about this fellowship in the New Testament is the way it is possible. How is it possible? What opened the curtain for simple believers so that we can now walk straight into the sanctuary, as it were, and have fellowship with our God? What made that change? Well, you know the answer, of course. The Lord Jesus opened that way. We enter the sanctuary through Him. Because of Him, we are God's beloved children who belong at the family table. In Him, we are righteous and holy before God. We may have fellowship with the Lord because He has first come to us. In Jesus, the Lord, you could say, has become us. He, he became like us. We are people with limitations in ourselves, unworthy to dwell with the living God. But there is Jesus standing at our place, one of us, who was received by his Father as the beloved Son with whom he was very pleased. He fulfilled all righteousness. He brought the ultimate sacrifice of atonement. He entered the heavenly sanctuary with the requisite blood. And now he dwells in the house of God, not just as the highest priest, but as the son and heir of all things. We have fellowship with the Father, first and foremost, because we are in Jesus, we belong to him, and he has fellowship with the Father. The Father and the Son are more united, united more intimately than any two people on earth can be. And we are in him, and he is in the Father. In that profound way, Jesus is the mediator of perfect fellowship with God. And that fellowship, the Bible teaches us, is yours in the way of faith. Now, during his ministry of earth, Jesus showed this and explained this and illustrated this in so many ways. For instance, as Jesus was preaching, he organized a picnic for a hungry crowd of followers. And Jesus led the meal by blessing the Father for his generous gift of food, and he distributed bread. And you know the story, you know about the miracle, how five loaves of bread became food for thousands, plus leftovers. In that miracle, Jesus showed the generosity of the Father for his sake. Just like the manna in the wilderness, the feeding of those 5,000 people showed that there is heavenly food for earthly people. The God of heaven shares a meal with the people on earth, with his people. And it is an abundant feast for Jesus' sake. Jesus also spoke about himself 
as the bread of heaven. He is the manna in a way. When the Lord provides for his people a lavish meal, he not only gives them literal bread they need. Much more profoundly, the Lord gives himself to his people. We receive the love of Jesus, and the righteousness of Jesus, and the spirit of Jesus, and the glory of Jesus, and the mind of Jesus. In him we are sons and daughters, kings and priests before God. And the invitation is generous. Come to the Lord's table and receive all these things. So we talked about the table in the sanctuary. And then I said, well, that line is, continue to the New Testament. You're invited to the Lord's table, as it were. When you hear that term, the Lord's table, you probably think of the Lord's Supper. And rightly so. Because we observe the Lord's Supper as a sacrament to celebrate the New Testament fellowship with God in Jesus Christ. There's a very strong parallel here. For the priest in the Old Testament, entering the tabernacle and eating the bread of the presence must have been a highlight of his week. Similarly, for New Testament believers, the celebration of the supper is a highlight of their service. Highlight of every week, that's a discussion for another time. In many ways, the Lord's Supper was, was like the weekly meal of the priests in the tabernacle. First of all, because it was a covenant meal. Jesus said it, right? When he instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, This is the new covenant in my blood. In the Lord's Supper, we affirm and celebrate that we have a covenant of grace with the Lord. And it's no longer that old covenant of Moses which took the shape of, of laws and sacrifices and a promised land. We have a new covenant in Jesus Christ who in his person brought the heavenly reality to his people here on earth. When we celebrate, with the, Lord, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are dining with God. And the Lord Jesus is our host. It's never the minister who stands there that is your host. It's the Lord Jesus. He is the host. The first time he was present in his human body. And afterward the church has celebrated this supper. Even until today. And even today the ascended Lord Jesus is present in his word. In his spirit. And in his power, and he lifts up us up to heaven. So sacramentally, we eat the bread, we drink the wine. But in the spirit, we share in the spiritual benefits, in the grace and the heavenly glory of Jesus Christ. And so the fellowship of the communion table on earth, the fellowship of us together eating a simple piece of bread and a small cup of wine reflect the communion that we have with the Father in Jesus Christ. We dine symbolically in this church building together with our brothers and sisters. Spiritually, we sit at the table with our Heavenly Father and His glorious Son as our host.
Now, in a way, that was already true in the Old Testament. The golden table in the tabernacle and the simple table here point to the same ultimate reality. The priest's eating of the bread of presence was also a sacrament through which the people of Israel celebrated their fellowship with God. But now, all of us who believe and have confessed our faith are invited, as it were, to sit down and to eat and to drink, celebrating our life in Christ. At the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Because Jesus does not sit at the head of our communion table as physically as he did on Good Friday or during that meal with these men from Emmaus that we read about in Luke 24. He is not physically here. Just as the priests serving in the tabernacle knew that their meal was pointing forward to a greater reality, so we know that our communion table also points forward to a greater reality yet. One day, the Lord Jesus will reveal his full glory on earth. He will bring the heavenly sanctuary, the, the real tabernacle, the real temple of heaven. He will bring it down to earth and the new earth will then be a garden of Eden, a new city of Jerusalem, and a new temple and tabernacle, all in one glorious unity. Read this in Revelation 20, uh, 21. It's a, it's a wonderful picture. Heaven coming down to earth, and the whole earth will be a garden temple. And there will be a communion table. There will be, in fact, a banquet for hundreds of thousands, for all who have been faithful to Christ on earth and who were kept in his grace. People from all nations and languages will join. All of new mankind will celebrate the glory of God and the Lamb. There will be heavenly bread, and as Jesus said, new wine, the fruit of the tree of life. And not only that, it is going to be a wedding banquet because the son will take his bride, the church glorified, to himself. Now that will be the most profound and the most perfect and the most intimate communion between God and man when Jesus Christ will be all in all to that banquet, this table, and that old golden table in the tabernacle pointed forward. Brothers and sisters, our spiritual ancestors in Israel had a golden table for the priests. You and I may celebrate communion around this table here in church. These are but shadows of the things to come. So let us not keep our focus too much on the plans and the rituals of the tabernacle. Let us not keep our mind too focused on the physical bread and wine. But let us every day of our life keep our gaze at heaven, where we now have communion with the Father as children at his table, and where we look forward to the greatest banquet of all. Amen.